0: Hello, and welcome to PopCast. I'm your co-host, Rose Kelly, and joining me is my co-host and co-editor, Kelly Lorraine Andrews.
1: Hi, hi, hello. Welcome to the podcast.
0: We are editors at Pretty Owl Poetry, a quarterly online literary magazine that accepts poetry, flash fiction, and art. And today, you're listening to PopCast.
1: So today, we're welcoming Cameron Barnett to the show. Cameron is a poet and teacher in Pittsburgh, fellow classmate of mine, fellow roommate of mine. Um, he was also, I should probably mention, fellow classmate at University of Pittsburgh's MFA program. Uh, Cameron's work explores the complexity of race in the body for a black man in today's America, which we probably pulled from your website somewhere,
0: I think, or some something of that. <laughs> but we're really glad to have you on the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Happy yeah. to be here. Yes. So, Cam, you're extremely accomplished. I'm also pulling this from your bio. The, <laughs> you are the author of The Drowning Boys' Guide to Water, winner of the Autumn House Press 2017 Rising Writer Contest, and finalist for the 49th NA, NAACP Image Awards for Outstanding Literary Work and Poetry.
1: Yeah. On top of that, let's just let's go all out. Yeah, brag on
0: me a <laughs> bit. I'm going
1: um, Cameron's work has been nominated for a number of awards, including a 2016 Pushcart Prize. Again, Cameron, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with us.
2: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I love Pretty Owl, so this is a, this is a real treat.
1: Um, that's really sweet of you to say. Yeah. So I was hoping we could talk about, so you, like, as we just mentioned, have received awards. You've been nominated for a bunch of things. Um, so I thought we could talk about that a little bit, and sure. then also, uh, in the same vein, you read and attended different conferences as like both a performer and before that as like more of a spectator yeah but let's just like jump right into the, the big news right yeah so um <laughs> in june you were awarded an eight thousand five hundred dollar award <laughs> with a grant to write your next book i was. um yeah. which is like amazing yeah congratulations
2: thank you very much yeah yeah it's uh, through uh, a joint thing with the Heinz Foundation the Heinz Endowments and uh, the Pittsburgh Foundation the Investing in Professional uh, Artist Grant um, and I don't know I never thought that I'd get something like that yeah. you know I'm, I'm not gonna lie and say like, oh yeah you know just
1: so they gonna follow up with you on the money and how you spend it or are you and Anna just
2: gonna go back to Belgium for another three weeks Anna's his partners yeah
1: oh yeah <laughs> It's literally just yeah just
2: like dropping it on the sidewalk, <laughs> you know. Um, no, I mean, there's there's some accounting that I have to do, you know, keeping a tight budget of, um, you know, materials on buying uh, recording devices, mm-hmm. uh, resources, books, and, and, you know, airplane tickets and stuff. But, uh, you know, more or less, um, the grant really allows you to be able to do the work you need to do. Um, you know, when you apply for it, you propose a specific budget and, you know, you kind of outline all the everything down to like the last cent um Mm -hmm. but um you know most of the work that i'm going to be doing uh is traveling Mm -hmm. um you know so i'm buying airplane tickets i'm thinking about you know who i'm staying with whether it's family hotels stuff like that um but the bulk of the work i'll be doing like i mentioned a recording device i bought um, is going to be conducting interviews with family members.
1: Oh, nice.
2: Um, so is this the part where should I tell tell you a little bit about, like, what I'm going to be doing? Yes, All please right. do. Tell
1: us about this book. This is the first
2: time I'm, like, really publicly talking about oh, it. great. Um, so it's still very much, like, a concept. It's something I've been thinking about and, and slowly writing toward a little bit. Um, but it's centered on family, which in my first book, The Drowning Boy's Guide to Water, was one of – sort of three interlocking major motifs i'd mm-hmm. say um but in this next book i kind of want to really focus on uh my family on both sides and going back several generations um close to you know end of the 1800s and slavery and, and tracing where they came from so i'll be going to sumter south carolina boston uh Weber in saskatchewan and canada Whoa. um yeah these ancestral locations <laughs> with my You're family.
1: To Cali? You were born in
2: Cali, right? I was born in Cali. I still have family there. I'm going to visit uh, my, my uncle who lives in Los Angeles. I'm going to visit some cousins who have lived all over but are currently in Las, Las Vegas. Um, and I'm also going to swing by DC just to check out the uh, African American Museum. Oh, cool. um, and so my idea is that I really want to trace like, ancestrally how uh, me as a black person. Uh, was made possible in Pittsburgh, which is sort of, you know, incidentally in the center of all these places. Um, And how my family came to a point of making me a more middle class, uh, sort of privileged, but black person, Mm -hmm. but also with roots in, um, you know, white people in my history and just sort of understanding race from that dynamic a little bit. Um, But one of my Bigger goals with this is that The Drowning Boys Guide to Water was an intensely serious book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I like to write, but I also want to focus on joy a little oh, bit yeah. more. Um, I think you know I'm reading
1: Roskay's the book of delights and it's just yes. it's everything I fucking need in life right now just to like get through this like hell timeline that we're on.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and you know, I just you know, it's it's become I don't want to say easy, but like routine for me to be able to write a poem about black struggle, mm-hmm. and I'd really love to write more poems about struggle, but also tempered with poems about joy, or just like mm-hmm. being humans, you know, yeah. just like without necessarily having to to ground it in something so heavy all the time.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so that's what I'm trying to explore. I'm you have like, my lots way of there.
1: jokes in there. Is it just gonna be a joke book?
2: Yeah, it's just gonna be like <laughs> just a bunch of stand up. This be pop
1: out pages and shit. It's
2: gonna be great. <laughs> got an illustrator lined up oh
1: uh, yeah that sounds great <laughs> um so like what did you like conceive about like how long have you been planning this I mean because I know that like one of the things that always I find really daunting about grant writing in general is just like you have to make these like very elaborate budgets mm-hmm. I mean how long have you been planning all this now
2: um I have to say it kind of the opportunity found me oh, um, cool. I had been nominated to apply for another. Um, award through the Pittsburgh Foundation. Uh, Didn't get it, but was, you know, I guess in the running and considered. And I think since I was on their radar, they invited me to apply for the grant opportunity. And initially, that came my way. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. But I, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, uh, you know, my book's been out a year and a half, I want to start writing more poems and, and doing other things. But I hadn't really conceived of a cogent manuscript Mm -hmm. um but when that showed up i was like you know what i don't want to pass the opportunity up let me think about like what is it that i might be interested in and you know everything i just told you about really started to coalesce and came together um i waited i don't know if i should say this but i waited last minute (laughs) to to actually do it yeah you know yeah (laughs) all my students out there this is not what you should be doing you need to do your work ahead of time but uh Yeah, so I I did that, and, um, you know, I I did a lot of intense research on, you know, what are prices for things here, what is it that I'm going to do, like, what do I actually need, like, I have in there stuff about looking up, like, archival stuff from the Pittsburgh Courier and the Post-Gazette to really, like, intensely focus on what was going on in Pittsburgh when my family, you know, one or two generations ago was, like, thriving here. Do
1: you have a timeline in place for, like, how you're planning to, like, how much time you're going to put into researching and how much writing and all that like do you have like a
2: goal so yeah so the grant has a, a one year sort of window um that the funds have to be used um, or can be used um you know so, so if Belgium I don't, at
1: the last minute right
2: yeah <laughs> you know, just, just at the last, the last grant I got yeah let's go um so I have to use it up by June whatever I don't use goes back to them um which is fair but basically since I work as a teacher in a middle school <laughs>
1: Cameron's cat is like inspecting my glass of water and my drink out of it. And I'm just going to let it happen.
2: It's adorable. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> cats need cats, water too.
1: Cats should have whatever they want. Exactly. This life. Oh my gosh, oh. this is even better. So I'm just going to have to, uh, taco cat has pulled a little piece of styrofoam out of the box that we keep the microphone in. He
2: is nothing and, if not and mischievous. And
1: now he's just going to take that <laughs> with him, and he can have it. Yeah. I'm, it's I'm, cost of the interview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Uh, where were we? Oh jeez. Uh-huh. By the way, I am still here but I am muted. Okay. <laughs> so I just want you to know I'm I'm over here laughing at all this. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. excellent.
2: Uh- <laughs> um oh, timeline. timeline. Yeah. Yes, timeline. <laughs> so, I'm I'm squeezing in a lot of my trips on the breaks that occur, so Thanksgiving, uh, winter break, spring break and like random long weekends that I get. Um, is when I'm doing it and my My writerly anxiety is, oh, I have an idea. I should be writing right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like really struggling with that right now, which is like, I have the whole idea formed, which is not how the drowning boy happened to me. Like the drowning boy, Came together. I like fell into it. Yeah. And this time around, I. And I the Johnny
1: Boy was part of your thesis too. Correct. So that helped. You know that you were like working on poems over a course of a few years. Right. But then just like thematically went together versus yeah. like having the you know the idea ahead of time.
2: Yeah. And so this time around, it's it's a totally new and honestly scary experience. Like to have an idea, to pitch the idea, mm-hmm. and now be funded. I'm like. So now it has to happen, <laughs> or, or like I need to at least work toward it, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm really telling myself, like, so much of the work that I'm planning to do is based on interviews with family members and, you know, hopefully museum or arch- archival specialists around the country. And I don't want to put the cart before the horse. So I'm trying to, like, Write some things that come to me, as they will, and then once I do my first trip, which should be Thanksgiving, I think that's when I'll really sit down and start, like, mapping out, okay, here's what, you know, things should start to look like or feel like.
1: Yeah, and not to tell you how to, like, you know, write your next book or anything, but I do do think that, you know, if you have ideas now, those poems might, you might need to just, like, get those poems out of the way, then... yeah. And, or be able to revisit them in the year from now and they might be completely different poems, but they might be the groundwork for yeah. the, the poems that are in the book. I think it's like, you know, I think it's okay to be like excited and anxious to be writing now. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's a great idea and like, um, and I think like the more you learn though, as you go along, like it's going to shape the book more, yeah. more than anything else. Um, are you like we're either gonna find out like any kind of like family secrets? Like there's like, do you, like you're gonna have like a you know brother or something you know, brother, mother, like,
2: gonna... I didn't think that through <laughs> until after I got it. And I was like, oh, so I'm actually like doing investigative work. <laughs> this, could, this could get sticky. Uh-huh. Um, I'm already. I mean, actually, just last night, um, my partner Anna, Anna and I we had dinner with my aunt, who I've already been doing sort of like family histories with, just sort of because. Mm-hmm. Um and we were talking again and she was telling me some stories I knew and then out of nowhere there'd be these tangents and I'm like oh I didn't know you did that or I didn't know you had that experience or like what that's how that guy's connected and just like stuff like that it's actually really rewarding to to in a way be killing two birds with one stone which is like compiling a bit of a family history mm-hmm. but also working toward a, a pretty specific project so it's all very exciting
1: yeah I have some, one more question and then um, I think we'll let Rose say something because we've just been like but um
0: skipper no. <laughs> it's cool I'm barely here
1: <laughs> um the other thing that you know I'm again not to tell you how to write your book but this is the first time we had a chance to talk it's about true. this um I think it'd be really interesting if you could do something with the sound that you're recording too, eventually like yeah. not necessarily like related to the book <laughs> but um you know to to be able to like house that somewhere. Right. I think that would be like really valuable for probably your family.
2: Absolutely. That's a dimension that's brand new to me. Um, you know, I've even thought about like I, I'm gonna mess up the name, but Tracy K. Smith's latest book, there's a lot of poems that are using like source material from like the Constitution and like <laughs> letters that people wrote um that she's turning into poems and like that's kind of some of the stuff I'd like to do with these interviews yeah. too. So like the amount of potential is like also like really exciting and overwhelming in the sense. So please, let's keep talking about how to write my book because I need I need, someone, <laughs> I need someone to point these things out to me sometimes.
1: Well, so. I'm just thinking like you know, long term, it'd be nice <laughs> yeah. like, for you know your uh, people, other people in your family, if you have like children someday, to be able to listen to like these interviews that you did with like your aunts mm-hmm. and uncles across across the country whenever yeah. you were you know yeah, for in your sure. thirties. Like, that's fucking awesome.
2: Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs>
0: <Yay>. <laughs> I'm sort of curious about, well, I have a lot of questions about your life as a writer and a teacher and all that, but is there anything you can share or is it too early at this point? <laughs> Any kind of writing for the book or similar to there, the book?
2: There is. And because I'm a fan of the podcast, I'm going to, I have a poem that, uh, it's, it's a draft, but it's one that I'm, I'm a little excited about, um, Yay. that I can share. Okay. Can I do a little a little prelude to introduce it?
0: Oh, like, yeah. Um, Absolutely.
2: A couple other motifs I didn't mention earlier that I'm also playing with um, are the idea of a heart. Uh, so tentatively, I'm thinking of this idea of murmur. Um, small story about this. When I was born, the doctor checked out my heart and thought that uh, she heard a heart murmur. And my dad's a doctor. He checked. He didn't hear anything. And my mom was sort of conflicted, like, who do I trust? She didn't want me to, you know, have problems growing up. So she always sort of, like, alluded to you might have a heart murmur. And my dad would always be like, you don't. That's not a real thing. I think they
1: stayed together
2: after this. It's it's nightly fights. Just the kid's heart has a huge hole in it. No. Um, And so I've always grown up with this, like, I've always been really athletic, um, but I've also always had this sort of like fear of like, what if my heart goes out? And on my dad's side of the family, a lot of the men in the family have had heart failure, died from it. Um, So I'm really interested in using the heart as a a motif for exploring family, Uh, but also the ground and earth, literally, because I'll be traveling to so many different places in North America. Uh, This idea of blackness cast over the entire North American continent. Um, I'm really thinking about earth and some of my experiences. So some of that will play into this poem that I'll read. Um, It's called On the Ground. The first time the land murmured to me, I was five on a fault line, back flat in bed and shaken awake by a voice stretched long across LA. The lights above me swung back and forth across my eyes as I tried to clutch whatever was closest to me, fear welding my fingers into the bedsheets. It was all over in a matter of minutes. If you listen well enough, the earth will tell you your quietest histories. I walked out of my room to see my whole family shaken and standing beneath a large crack in the bent white ceiling of our living room. And for a moment, I didn't know whether what shook me had come from below or above. If you're not careful, the land will lie to you. My mother's hands at midnight, running through my nappy hair and her kiss on my cheek are the last things I recall. After that, every time she would touch my hair and kiss my cheek, it was a retelling of that night, a small, be careful, imprinted on the most vulnerable part of me. Mothers will write whole histories with kisses on our cheeks to distract us from the fractures building within. And I wondered when I might murmur myself apart whether the split would come from within or without, whether my body's black terrain would suffer subduction to a nine millimeter fault line in the dead of night sometime. Each kiss a reminder that I am a Pangea, a plundered land trying to drag itself back together, that my feet stood firm on the ground I belonged to, foundation to the firmness of my voice. But I knew the earth could speak at any moment, and you may never know where the cracks will appear, that your skin might slip forever beneath the force of, some, of another's. I've watched it now more times than I care to count. You know, you can see an earthquake coming if you know how to spot a lie. The officers bark, the hands, the lights swinging madly over eyes, hands running rough over nappy hair, a murmur exploding in an instant, get on the ground now. If you're not careful, you can become a quiet history too, a subduction they'll call your fault. i'm curious
1: like uh i think it'll be really interesting to see to what the traveling that you're going to be doing how that will play into like the landscape is going to be like playing a big role just like based on that home i would think right the homes are going to come next like that's really exciting yeah
2: like even just thinking about saskatchewan i've never been there um and you know in my head i just picture just ice everywhere you know i have no idea and like
1: how that's going to influence,
2: like, what my family history looks like, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Also, just being there is going to be cold. (laughs) I know,
0: because you
1: have to do a lot of planning, like, ahead of time to, like, have the right gear. Exactly.
2: Not... Check on carrying luggage everywhere. Yeah. These are things I hate. I hate luggage, so...
1: I hate planning trips in general, so it's, like, kudos to you to, like, even just (laughs) having, like, the willpower to do all this. And, like, you know, like, being a teacher, like, you're doing this all in, like... You know, like the short, yeah, little short trips that you can between like yeah. teaching this and that.
2: And you know, it's stressful and like laying it out of my calendar. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so busy. Yeah. No, there's no break. And you know, I, I do wonder about like when am I going to squeeze in the writing time. But on the other end, if I let's say I was doing either not working or had like a job that wasn't as demanding in my time, I almost feel like I'd let it slip too much. Mm-hmm. So like having like very concentrated pockets of opportunity in a sense is actually really good for me on sort of a a process level um, to know like, okay, Thanksgiving, I'm going to see these family members. I'm going to have these questions and I need to, you know, capitalize on that time to like really get out some writing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I don't think the book's going to be done in June, but you know, to have, you know, a significant chunk, like when we were in the MFA, like Mm -hmm. we had that one class, we had to do a chunk of like, 10 poems or something or whatever, you know, that's the thing that I'm excited to get to, because once I have that, then the possibilities really start to unlock for me.
0: I don't want to make a giant pivot, but you did mention like the structure of being a teacher and how that's like providing structure with the project. But can you yeah. talk to us a little bit more about that? Because... I can't even imagine what it's like to teach middle schoolers <laughs> and like in this era, and I'm just curious like how your life as a teacher meshes with your life as a writer and mm-hmm. how how your students play a role in your work if they do
2: they do in in you know sometimes subtle sometimes overt ways um, I'll say off the bat that it's challenging um and I've heard pretty much every writing teacher I've had in college mention like the the teaching writing work life balance is it's no joke um, and some people are are really structured about it and able to handle it and I I initially was um, but you know taking on more responsibility as I've been at the school longer and uh, you know I don't teach just one subject I have, I also teach history uh, I, t- I teach sixth and seventh grade so I do history with the sixth graders. Um, there's a lot of like researching and work and lesson planning you have to do with that. And so there are days where I'm like, ah, I had this really great idea in my head and I would love to sit down and just like explore it, but I'm dead tired. I got to eat. I got to talk to my girlfriend. I, you know, I got to do all kinds of stuff.
1: So I got of? a
2: cat I got to love on. He, <laughs> he doesn't wait for anything. So, I, you want to write poems? No, just pet me. Um, so you know, I've had to really learn. I, I have a wonderful colleague, uh, Cheryl Capuzzuti, who's the art teacher, uh, one of the art teachers at Falk School, uh, where I work. And she, you know, early on when we connected, she was like, "You gotta literally block off time." She she keeps an old analog like calendar. And mm-hmm. she takes a big black Sharpie and her weekends are just boom. She does not let anything come in her way because she's like, if I don't create, if I'm not in my studio making, she's uh, a puppet maker. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Makes amazing puppets. Wow. She was just doing a big show at the airport with them. But um,
1: oh, I saw that in like a little. I could yeah. a newsletter from the airport, which is weird. I don't even know how I got signed up, <laughs> for that, but they have some interesting
2: stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she, you know, she creates these giant puppets and she, you know, puts them on and with a group of people. Sometimes students dances with them and performs. Oh, like gosh. she's she's big time. Um, she's like, I don't feel like myself if I don't create. For you know a set amount of hours every weekend, and so I'm re- really beginning to make myself sit down like you know like a weekend routine at the very least, mm-hmm. um, hoping that throughout the week something will pop in here. I like to just scribble down like a few lines of thought every once in a while, just so that I'm putting something out there. Um, but one of the things that helps the most is that I do an extended poetry my seventh graders. It's actually the longest unit I teach. I teach a poetry unit that runs from the middle of October up until the middle of December, right before winter break. And I have kids create poetry chapbooks by the end of it. We do all kinds of prompts. We try all kinds of forms. We cut up newspapers and play with word magnets. We do all kinds of stuff to be creative. And I'm a big believer in the writing side of my teaching, at least, of doing the work alongside the kids. So... When it's the poetry unit time, I write in class with them. Oh, that's um, great. I try to, yeah, thank you. I try to share poems in class because when you're in seventh grade and you're writing a poem about something important to you, the last thing you want to do is read it to a class. Yeah. But I also think it's important for some kids to learn like you can have a voice and speak up and advocate for yourself. So I'm going to do it. And what I wrote in this class period is only going to be as good as what you wrote, perhaps, because we both had the same time and, you know, right. everything. But here we go. And
1: you're just like an award winning. <laughs> poet.
2: Yeah, who's, you know, also (laughs) leaving in five minutes to travel to Saskatchewan. But do your best,
1: kids. But do your best, yeah.
2: This is what you could be. Do
1: you think your kids read your work? Like, do you think they, like,
2: seek you out? I've had kids literally Google me in class on their Chromebooks and go to my website and start reading some of my poems to me. And I'm like, do your own work, please. Yeah, That's
0: intense. Wow.
2: So, um, actually, I mean, the kids, when they find out that, you know, I have a book published, which uh, most of the kids I've taught, they knew because the book came out when I was actively teaching them. But some of the newer ones coming up, they're like, wait, you wrote a book?
1: Well, and also you had your book launch at fall, which is where you teach and also where you went to school as like a kid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's all very sort of like insular homecoming kind of stuff. Right. Um, There's a real gravity to that where it's like, oh, you're not just going to teach me poetry like you do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. So you're going to do it and we're going to do it well together. Um, But, you know, I have to say there's a reciprocity there where, you know, as an artist, the way I teach poetry isn't like, here's a book, find the rhyme, find the meaning. The meaning's absolutely there and you just have to find it or else you're stupid. You know, I hate that. Um, My thing is, like, you are a person who uses and has language and can manipulate words in a unique way. How do you choose to do it? think about how you choose to do it and then show me all the different ways you can do it, whether it's poetry or essays or letters or personal narrative. Um, That's like the synopsis of my curriculum for Um, them. So I do that for them, but they also, you know, inspire me with their sort of like, they're kids, they're seventh graders. They still th- see things in like zany ways and they're not always afraid to show that sometimes. And, you
1: probably still have
2: hope. It's really cute. Yeah. It's adorable. Oh. It's heartbreaking to watch it get crushed sometimes, but yeah, those uh, days. yeah, <laughs> we, all, we all have been there. That's
0: true. <laughs> I am sort of curious just how you have time to fit in writing with all of this and what that looks like for you.
2: Yeah. So, so I'm trying to make an effort to do like a weekend thing. Um, and my goal is always to sort of write what I deem to be like a whole draft of a poem, kind of a la a workshop model that Kelly and I, and a bunch of our fellow writers and other writers in the city, um, for several summers have often done is just sit down, set a timer for an hour and then just go for it. And whatever you have, you have, um, I sometimes try to, uh on the bus like jot down some notes in a phone um and i'm lucky that at my school we have a an early prep period so actually before i even teach any of my classes um you know i have an hour and a half or so um to prepare any lessons and if i don't necessarily need all that time i'll sometimes just close the door to my classroom and like look in my notes i keep a huge list of ideas in, in the notes app on my phone and i just go in there and what i always tell people is like i i think of it almost like a painter with a palette and i just like take random things drop it on the canvas so to speak and i always like trying to connect the dots between things that either like there's an obvious connection or there's totally no connection and like write my write a bridge between those two things um isn't that's an activity that's always worked for me since i was just starting to become a writer um and then you know to also just like think about the fact that writing isn't just the production piece of it, which is something that I've had to start telling my students as we've were a month into school and I'm having them write some of their first projects, they're like I don't know what to say and I'm like I know you don't know what to say. You haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it yet. Um, and you know, not discounting the fact that so much of the writing process is mental, it's the time sitting there thinking, putting the pieces together to see if they even sound like something you should type out. Um, so in a sense, that's also part of me finding the time is even just finding the time to think about the project um, and, you know, go back and listen to interviews or read some of the books that I've bought to kind of inform and frame uh, the project a little bit. Uh, so the time is all over the place. I think for me, the matter, the issue is sort of like the discipline of always making a routine or a habit out of it,
1: Yeah.
2: which is what I'm learning. So.
1: Yeah, it's hard. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Speaking of your life as a writer, let's talk about your success story, (laughs) 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 the success of your first book, The Drowning Boy's Guide to Water. Um, Comeback
2: kid over here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Not only
1: did it win the Rising Writer Contest at Autumn House Press in 2017, uh, it was also a finalist for the 49th NAACP Image Awards. For outstanding literary work in poetry. So tell us what it's like to be a celebrity. In the whole
2: world. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Um, what was
1: the, I know. Like the, I, I, I think I remember like, you flew to like California or something for this. Yeah. Like, was, like, like, you were wearing like a tux or something. I mean, it was like
2: amazing. Yeah, that is still. I still sometimes don't believe that that happened because like <laughs> it was a really weird story too. How I found out because when when the book had just come out. I had like Google alerts set up for my name and the title of the book just in case like reviews popped up that oh, I, yeah. you know wouldn't have otherwise caught. And something came up to a website that had to do with the end of ACP. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And what I actually found was like an under construction website <gasps> of like nominees for this no, thing. Shit. And I was like, I think I know what this is, but I have no idea why this is here. And then it was a week later that. Um, Autumn House got notified by the NAACP wow. that the book was uh, a nominee and I was like holy crap I still to this day have no idea who nominated me or how that even happened but they offered to fly me out there for... you
1: take your mom with you right? I took my mom yeah, yeah I took That's
2: my mom because so it was it was um, basically in LA or actually it's a little bit south of LA uh, so we saw my uncle who I'll also be interviewing for the, the next book and um, I don't know. I I'm really weird about like the celebrity aspect of it because I still I tell people this all the time when I read my poems I look at them as like man I was on my couch I just watched like two hours of CNN (laughs) there was like riots in Ferguson going on and I was pissed and I was just like you know I maybe just had some China walk or something like you know I'm just sitting there like on the couch writing what I think and you know that's process that's like how you you get to things but obviously like when it's in a book and it's out there and it's got all these other things attached to it people you know there's a little bit more I guess esteem attached to it and that's really it's really fun and really cool but I'm always trying to like stay grounded like um the minute I begin thinking like oh like I'm an excellent writer who's just like naturally good at all of this stuff is the minute that I feel like I'm just going to pump out shit. You well, know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good to stay
1: humble, I guess. Right. right yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's not awesome. Like it's, it's the fact that Autumn House accepted it, that, um, the NAACP, uh, looked at it, that, you know, this grant in, lar- in a large sense is possible because of it, yeah. are not lost on me. Um, you know, I'm really grateful for those opportunities. Um, but I really want to maintain a mindset of like, you know, I want to be an artist first. I'm, I need to go on to another project and, you know, begin lifting other people up too and, and you know, shouting people out with whatever sort of microphone or voice or, or uh, platform I might <laughs> one day or currently do have. Um, so I don't know. It's been awesome. It's been a really great ride, but I'm also sort of like I need to get back to that like I'm on the couch and things are pissing me off state because right. that's where I feel like I'm really a creative is in that mode.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you just like just got to watch more news.
2: Like <laughs> <laughs> that does the trick often. It really does these days. Yeah. So. So Cameron. Yes.
1: Celebrity humble <laughs> celebrity of Pittsburgh.
2: Simois.
1: I spent like what three weeks in Belgium. Yeah, now I'm now like... an
2: expert. Yeah, I'm an expat. Speaking
1: French. Yeah. Um, can you take us out of this podcast with um, one of the poems, possibly from um, the Giant Boys guy or whatever poem you want? I don't know.
2: Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna read. Um... A potential title poem to the—I'm just going to call it a manuscript for now. Okay. Um, well, who knows how it'll evolve? So this poem is called "Murmur." This became my first ghost, the cold cup of a stethoscope to my infant chest, an echo deep in a doctor's ear. The sound she heard named it "murmur," a swoosh in the space between the beatings of my youngest heart. When I'd run around as a toddler. My mother always anticipated me falling down and not getting back up. Later, my father's stethoscope told us there was nothing there. This became my second ghost. I played every sport I could growing up. I ran until no kid in my class could outpace me. I beat my heart up and down playgrounds and courts through grass stains and bloody knees. I wanted to learn how to make my heart sing, and I wanted to silence it too. But always, my mother's gaze was heavy on me. Be careful, she would say, and be careful, Dad would say. I ignored them. When I did karate as a high schooler, running up against men twice my size, my mother said, be careful, and my father said, be careful, and because I didn't care for my heart then, I was careless. Heartbreak came when I fell in love for the first time, and my mother said nothing, and my father said nothing, and years passed with no echo to interrupt the ending as they held me. And we all listened to my third ghost singing in the space between the beatings and now i run miles a day for my health and now i am a haunted house of scars and now i always fear like too many men in my family that i will die because of my heart i always fear like too many black men that a heart is not enough to keep me alive we are all ghost stories silent chests a heavy wager of collapse and isn't this what all our mothers fear fourth ghost every echo of love misplaced somewhere deep in our hearts reconvening over us in our stillness murmuring be careful
1: beautiful thanks Kim Thank you. so much for being on our show
2: absolutely um, thanks for having me
1: yeah big shout out to Taco Cat who's just like yeah all over the table with that last poem it was yeah. like very hard for both of us to keep a concentration seriously yeah
2: Taquito over here messing the whole spot up
1: <laughs> But, yeah, um, I'm really excited to see what comes
2: of this project and, like, the poems are going to
0: write. Thank you. Me, too. We'll see. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Rose. We want to thank our listeners for tuning into PopCast, which is available on iTunes and SoundCloud and everywhere else that you find podcasts. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, and send any of your questions and comments to prettyowlpoetry at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're good. We did it. Woo.